You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Good morning. That wasn't very loud. Good morning. That's better. That's right. All right. Who's ready to hear the word of God? It's living. Yes. Okay. It's, if you want to follow along, it's Matthew 21, 1 to 17. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. They took, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. That's good. And asked, who is this? Oh, sorry. That was really good. The whole city, like that happened. That was amazing. The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet, the Nazarene in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned, I'm having a bake sale. Is that bad? Okay. Okay. Don't overturn my tables, Kay. Took a lot of baking. <laughs> okay, we're good. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written. This is good. Ready? He said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. That's a decree over this church. But you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. Yeah. And he left them and went out of the city of Bethany where he spent the night. Thank you, Beth Ann. 
just for the record, bake sales are just to inspire you to give. Uh, <laughs> so you can pay 50 bucks for a cookie and send a kid to a conference. Uh, so good, so good. So some of you might be wondering, why are we reading the Palm Sunday passage a week before Palm Sunday? Um, well, I just had to get started here because as we approach Easter, I'm getting really stirred to just look into these final moments of Jesus' life. And so this week we're going here. Next week we're going to look at the, the Last Supper and everything surrounding that. And we're going to do that because on a Sunday because we don't actually do a Good Friday service together here as Life Tree. We're going to join the citywide one. And then Easter, obviously, we'll focus on the resurrection. But I have a strong conviction that we as a church cannot spend too much time meditating on the life and words of Jesus. Oh, good. I was going to say, can I get an amen? But I was waiting to see. There's a few out there who agree with me. Okay? So, so it's like we're just going to dive in here a week early into Palm Sunday and look at this. And um, what I would want to say to you guys, you know, that I found myself thinking about as I look at this passage is that, when I had my roofing company, how many are used to hearing roofing illustrations from me? I, I, okay, I have children, I'm married, I own a roofing business, and I'm into like snowboarding and stuff like that. And so those are basically the illustrations you get from me. Um, and so anyways, diving back in here, I remember when I had my company, um, there were times where I would come up onto a site where my guys were working and I would look at what was being done and even guys who had worked with me for a while at times, I would look at it and I would just say, no, you got you to tear that up. We got to redo that. And, uh, and there were times where it was like hours of work getting ripped up. There were occasional times where it was more than a day worth of work to pull it up and redo it. And we were committed to doing, you know, the right thing. And so as a result, there were times where we actually had to tear up what had been done to make it right. I think of that when I look at this story with Jesus. And last week, we heard from Adam statistics about the decline of Christianity in Canada, or that's what they may lead us to believe. But Adam did a great job of helping us interpret those statistics and understand them. And what we saw as he shared with us was that sometimes those statistics we're seeing are actually the, the, the dying out and the breaking down of old ways and the emergence of new ways. And I would even say to you, maybe less than new ways, it's about a restoration to the way things are supposed to be. And today I want us to see the sort of things that Jesus is willing to break and overturn. You see, when we look at this passage, before we kind of dive into some of the details, I want us to understand the context. I want us to see some of the similarities between then and now, okay? And a couple of the similarities I see between then and now are that people, the people of Israel, they were trusting greatly in political power. Anybody, anybody think we got some of that today? Okay? Putting a lot of faith into political power. And the other thing I would say is that there was this development of a transactional form of worship 
within the church, within the temple. This, this buying and selling, this, what, what you see there is that people were purchasing these sacrifices. We'll, we'll maybe get into that in a bit. I'll just say that, that there was this transactional form of worship that had developed. And I see a lot of similarities between then and now. In this inordinate amount of faith in political power and potentially a transactional form of worship that had infiltrated into the house of God. Jesus wasn't into it. He didn't like it. And so we have here this picture of, of King Jesus riding into Jerusalem. But what's really interesting about this story and this text is that if you followed along in the story of Jesus, he's a little bit on like the, the down low. He's a little low key about his being king, being Messiah, all this sort of stuff. He's not out there trumpeting it and, and sponsoring Facebook posts about his, you know, his, his kingship or anything like that. He is pretty low-key, but in this moment, he says, no, I'm, I'm king. I'm telling you, there's no accident in what happened that day in the text that we read. It says, right, that, that he rode into town on this donkey. Remember, he says to them, hey, go to this town, and you're going to find this donkey tied up with its, with its colt, with its baby, and untie them and bring them to me. And, and if anybody asks you any questions, just tell them the Lord needs them. Now, do you think that was just you know, a sense Jesus had, that, that that's how it would go down? Or is it possible that Jesus had actually made a plan with somebody that we don't have written in the text? Either way, this was very intentional. Matthew makes a point of writing... That as Jesus rode in on this donkey, this was fulfillment of a prophetic word. A prophetic word from Zechariah that said this. Say, daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, do you think Jesus was riding into town and was all of a sudden like, oh, hey, hey, this is like that prophecy in Zechariah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. You know, no, there was, there was an intentionality in Jesus making this decision to enter Jerusalem this way. He knew who he was. And there came a time when he said, okay, it's time for me to show who I am. To make it clear. To make it plain. And what happens is as he rides in, the crowds of people, there's a bunch of them who seem to agree with Jesus who seem to be excited about the king coming into Jerusalem. And they are, they're, they're, they're laying their cloaks on the road, it says. Got these palm branches getting cut and laid out. Um, and there is also these statements being made. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That word Hosanna, it means Save. Son of David was a title for the expected Messiah, for the king. And so they're shouting essentially, save us, king. Save us, Messiah. This is what they're shouting in the streets. And Jesus doesn't shut it down. There's this stirring. And it's interesting, you know, the Bible doesn't explain everything to us. You realize, like, when Matthew was writing this down, he wasn't like, hey, people in Victoria, B.C., Canada in 2023 might not know what this is, you know, all about. It's, it's not all in there. He's writing to a specific time and context. And what's really interesting to note is the significance of these palm branches. 
The palm branches were actually a sign of a, a military victory, a defeat. There is a, a book called First Maccabees that's not in the Bible, okay, but it's a historic report of what happened in Judea from 170-something B.C. to 134 B.C. And somewhere roughly 150 years before Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day, there had been an enemy that occupied Jerusalem. And 1 Maccabees retells the account of the war between this enemy and the people of God, the people of Israel. And there came a day when they finally drove their enemies out of Jerusalem. And it says in 1 Maccabees 13, verse 51, that as they went into the city, they went into the city singing songs, playing instruments, and waving palm branches. And it was this, this act of actual declaration of victory. And so what people are saying as they break these palm branches, put them on the street, is they're, they're welcoming this king who they are believing is going to drive their enemies, the Romans, from the city. That there's this, this, this political liberation coming. This political revolution, if you will. And it says the whole city was stirred. I like that Beth Ann paused at that moment because it jumped out at me too. When King Jesus is on the move, whole cities get stirred. And Jesus not only acknowledges that he's king, he actually acknowledges even more than that at the end of the text that Beth Ann read to us. It tells us that the religious leaders, they were indignant, right? They were upset because the children in the temple were mimicking what had been shouted in the streets. They're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. And these religious leaders are like, Jesus, do you hear what they're saying? Like essentially, you need to shut this down. And what does Jesus respond with? He says, yeah, I hear what they're saying. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and children I have ordained my praise? Jesus essentially in that moment says, I'm not just king of Israel. I'm the one this psalm talks about being praised. God. I'm not just king of Israel, I'm king of the universe. Like he, he's, and, th and then it just ends. It says he left the town, he went to Bethany to spend the night. It's like it's a mic drop, moment, mic drop moment with Jesus before the religious leaders. You're upset about that. Guess who I say I am? You know? I want to say to you, agreement with Jesus that he's king of the universe is a good thing. But when we agree with Jesus that he's king of the universe, what we will find is he tends to lead us in places and directions we did not expect, that we did not see coming. Because see, the people, they were expecting Jesus to drive out the Romans and overturn their oppression. And Jesus does some driving out and some overturning, but not what they expected. See, because when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, it doesn't tell us that the first place, he didn't ride to the Roman embassy and be like, I have arrived, time to go, get out, right? He doesn't, he doesn't lead the political revolution and the military coup that they were anticipating and expecting. Where does he ride to? Where does he go to? It tells us the first place he goes in Jerusalem is where? The temple. He goes to the temple. 
And he deals with oppression. But it's not the oppression that they thought. There had been a religious system developed on which a few people at the top were profiting from the worship of the common people. And they used worship of God to make money for themselves. They used the sincere hearts of people to reach out and lean into God to to benefit themselves and to gain power. Jesus was not impressed. You see, the first thing that King Jesus does when he goes into Jerusalem as king points to what he saw as of primary importance. I believe Jesus thought the world did not need a new political empire. The world needed a people of God who pray. What does he say when he goes in and he he drives out the people profiting off of worship and he flips over, overturns their tables? What does he say? My house will be called... House of prayer. And you, he says to them, have made it a den of robbers. This transactional worship, there was this professionalism that had come in, and he was simply looking for a people who pray with sincere hearts and sincere hunger. And I would say to you that today I feel like there's a reality where. At times, we put too much hope in political power and not enough hope in prayer. We don't actually realize the significance of prayer. Jesus knew the world needed change. Jesus knew his people needed freedom from oppression. But it looked really different than what they expected. He simply said, I want people who come to my house and pray. And I will say to you this, that maybe if you want to figure out, am I putting too much hope in political power? I would say to you this, it's, it's a good proof, evidence of that would be that if you look at the political situation and it stresses you out. You have anxiety stir up inside of you. Because a people who are grounded in prayer and, and, and going before the Lord have a certain confidence and a faith a groundedness, a peace. I may put it to you this way. Are we, are we worshiping more before the altar of politics than we are going before the throne of God in prayer? Because when we go before the throne of God in prayer, we realize that he is seated far above every power and principality and evil force that empowers the politics that we're bothered by and upset by. There's a spiritual battle that goes on in our world for the minds of people, for the hearts of people, for for paradigms and worldviews and ideologies and all this stuff, which is essentially in the culture, and it's what's in the culture that's, that's, that's leading and guiding the politics. You know what I'm saying? And so we actually need God's spirit to move, to change people's hearts and minds. That's what we need more than any other thing. Because no, you see, no political power is going to coerce and force people into righteousness. You know, living God's way. 
There's actually an internal heart change that has to happen, and it happens before we go before the throne of God in prayer. And what I do want to say, I'm not, I'm not saying to you that engagement in politics doesn't matter, and that we shouldn't do it. We need people, a praying people, who follow Jesus in every area of society. And Adam made that clear to us last week, and I totally agree. We need people involved in politics. This is not to say politics don't matter. But what I am saying is that we're lost if we have more hope in politics than we do in prayer. And I'm reminded as Jesus makes this the first thing, I'm reminded of this story uh, about Moses. And it's an exodus where, where he's looking at going into the promised land and God's saying, hey, yeah, I'll send you and I'm going to send this angel and he's going to defeat all your enemies for you. And Moses says, maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not, but Moses says, I don't want to go into the promised land if your presence doesn't come with me. Something happened in Moses where he was like, I don't care about that political victory and I don't care about that, that rise to prosperity for our nation if you're not with me. The primary thing that, that, that he's saying we need is him and his presence. And what does he say? He says, my house... In other words, the place where I dwell will be a place of prayer. So what I'm trying to help us understand, you know, I've been, I've been harping on about prayer a lot for months now. And what I'm wanting us to catch is that if you want to have fellowship with God and encounter his presence and that confidence that comes from knowing him, it is cultivated primarily in the place of prayer. That's where God dwells. That's where God likes to hang out. And not only that, but the, the scripture that Jesus is quoting from, where he says, my house will be called the house of prayer, it says in Isaiah, where he's quoting from, it's a house of prayer for all nations. And the idea is that everyone's welcome to the house. In other words, it wasn't just for the Jewish people, it was for all nations, all peoples everywhere on the earth to come into this place and come before God and meet with God. It was an open welcome door for all people. And there's something about that that we see in the text where after Jesus makes this declaration, it says that the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. That in itself was, was something radical because if you read back, there was actual prohibitions for people who had different illnesses, where they could and couldn't go in the temple. And there's something profound going on. It doesn't tell us where in the temple they met with Jesus. So they may have been in the place they were allowed to be. But the idea is, is that those who were held at a distance, those who were prohibited, Jesus saying, come on in and I'll make you well. The blind the lame and the children understood who Jesus was. And here's, here's what I want us to catch as we're looking at this, okay? It's like, I found this really interesting because I've often wrestled with the church and its purpose in having buildings and property and all that kind of stuff, right? And what struck me is at no point in what Jesus said did he say anything bad about the temple itself, he never said, hey, this thing's stupid, useless, you guys should get rid of it. What he was concerned about was what the temple was being used for. 
That's what was bothering him. And he said, my temple was to be a place of prayer. And what I want to say to you this, okay, is that the devil will gladly construct anything that will hinder people from praying. And Jesus will gladly destroy anything that hinders people from praying. When he comes in and he drives them out and he flips the tables, he is saying, get this out of here. This is hindering my people from coming before their father in the place of prayer that this place was designed to facilitate. I want to tell you guys that the recipe for God to move and change a society and change the world hasn't changed. It's a people who pray. And a people who, who, who listen to God, hear what he's saying, and obey him. So there is action involved. There is mission. There is getting out there and getting our hands and our feet dirty and doing practical work. But it's birth from, birth from this place of prayer. And we search often for new systems and ways, but God is searching for people who simply search for him. We think that the new system is going to be the thing that's the, the silver bullet and the thing. And I'm not saying there's, there's a place for new systems. We need new systems. Like Adam showed us last week, certain systems are dying, they're breaking down, and there's an emergence of new. There's a restoration to the way things should be. But ultimately, it's hearts that search for him that he's searching for. Keep quoting this thing I, I, I heard recently, right? He comes where he's wanted. We want to see God move in our city. He comes where he's wanted. And he makes clear in scripture that the way that desire is expressed is in the place of prayer. But isn't it interesting that the established religious leaders couldn't see who Jesus was? The people who were profiting from the system that had developed couldn't see who Jesus was or what he was doing. But the blind, the lame, and the children, the blind could see who Jesus was and what he was doing. The broken and the simple children could see who was there. And it says this, when the chief priests, listen to this, this, this always interests me. When the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. It's, I know, I was seriously, you didn't know how much I was loving that this was happening. The children crawling in front of me. Well, it says, because, because the thing that struck me as I read this, this sounds like a revival meeting. You know, like, like people are coming and being healed, and the children are shouting, and they're mimicking the worship and the praise that they had heard in the streets, right? And, 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 and Jesus seems to be loving the moment, but the religious leaders if we just cut a few words out of what I just read, essentially says this, they saw the wonderful things he did and they were indignant. I'm sure the children shouting Hosanna to the son of David didn't help either. You know, they, 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 he, he's, they're saying, save us, O king, long awaited Messiah, right? And they're kind of like, 
You need to shut them up, right? We already talked about that. But what I want us to see, guys, is that the move of God was good news to the humble. And it was bad news to the religious establishment. To its systems and its leaders. And this is a common story. It's happened throughout history. When people's hearts get on fire for God and there's a childlike faith that stirs up in his people, it's always met with opposition. <sighs> and, and many don't like it. It's just too simple for them. That's it. And I don't know about you, but when I read this, I get excited about the fact that King Jesus is disruptive. King Jesus rides in, you know, you can almost say under the radar on a donkey, but obviously it wasn't under the radar. The whole city was a buzz. But King Jesus rides in and he disrupts things. He really doesn't mind tearing things down. He really is not, he's not impressed, guys, with our systems, with our structures, with our institution. And I'm not trying to like be harsh on it all. We, we have a system and a structure here, an institution, but we have it in hopes that it serves people. We have it in hopes that it actually helps you and us as a community draw near to Jesus and know him. But at the end of the day, the system and the structures are not near and dear to him. You are. And the people you know are, your neighbors are, your coworkers are, your relatives are, the people who he's networked you with are the people he cares about. They're the things he cares about. And he wants our hearts to be, to be, to be gripped with the same love he has for them. And so with King Jesus not being afraid to tear things down, when he starts to move, I want to say, church, get ready. Get ready for disruption. Because, see, I don't know about you, but I can see in our moment, in our season, in our culture, in our city, in the conversations I have with people, that we're in this moment where in many senses, the good news message that the culture has been preaching is starting to unravel. And people are going, I don't know about that. But you have in Jesus somewhere stable to stand. A truth that has transcended and stood the test of time. And the more there are a people who pray and have that peace, that groundedness, that confidence that comes from having looked at him who's seated on the throne, the more you're going to have people going, what do you got? What is going on in you? Why are you, you know what, right? And I'm convinced, guys, that what's going to start to happen is we're going to start to, in a sense, our systems and our structures as the church, and I'm not talking just life, I'm talking big C church, they're going to be bursting at the seams. Are you ready? Are you ready for this meeting and gathering not to look the way you've always liked it to look? Are you ready to open your door and your table for some people to come and sit with you because this space can't handle it? 
I'm not, I, we all say, come on, but actually the reality is it's going to require difference in our schedule. It's going to require not having a seat when you come in on Sunday. It's going to require not knowing where to park. It's going to require maybe, you know, having times where you don't actually get to interact with the people you've always interacted with and the friends you've had because you're needed. We need all hands on deck. The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Send laborers, Right? There's hungry people in our city and in our world who are searching. And what they need is, is, is to come alongside other people who are searching for God. And you might have been walking with God for a little longer, so you just know a few things about how to search for him. And you get to bring them along and show him. And I'm telling you guys, it's, it's in the place of prayer. It's in all sorts of other things too. But primarily, right, Jesus, first thing he does is king. Goes to the temple, disrupts, changes things up. So I want to say to you guys, the, the way that I really believe that we get ready and that sort of thing that we're yes and amening to here today is, is prayer and hospitality. There's more details, but those are the simple things, and that's why we've been saying eat together and pray together since the new year. Because, because we as a church have to actually get good at prayer and hospitality to be ready. Read it again. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. The whole city was stirred. And I'm reminded as Jesus goes and cleans out the temple of this promise that God made on the the day that the original temple was built and dedicated. They've gone through the service, right? Okay. And then Solomon, we're now rewinding just in case you're wondering about a thousand years from, from the story we've been reading. But King Solomon has built this temple for a place of prayer and worship. And it retells a story where God actually comes to him in a dream the night after the temple's dedication. There's just this one verse I want us to read. It's it's a well-known verse. It's 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. And this is God speaking to Solomon in a dream. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. That was, that was the promise that was made by God himself on the, the night after the temple had been dedicated. And here we are, Jesus comes in and he turns the tables and he says, my house shall be a house of prayer. And this gives us a window into the type of prayer that's supposed to be happening. In his house. And my hope and my prayer for us as Life Tree Church is that we would learn to embody this simple recipe that he calls for, which is a turning from evil ways and humbling ourselves in a place of prayer, asking him to forgive and heal our land, because he wants to do it. The question is will we have faith like children who actually believe the promises of God and respond? It's simple, childlike faith. And so this would be my prayer. Lord, set us free from transactional worship, complacency, and cynicism. And give us faith like children. Make us a people who pray, save us. 
save us, King of the universe, King Jesus. So as, as we close, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray. Remember we, amen, we're not into just transactional worship. It's about engagement, okay? And so I realize all of us are at different stages of journey and of process. And so my invitation to you is just, just, just pray however you know how. And if you really are like, I don't know how, I'll just give you a simple phrase. And it was in the text, save us. Help us. That's like a valid prayer. That's a biblical prayer, Okay. And so, yeah, what we're going to do is I'm going to put the microphone down and I'm going to welcome you to actually pray out loud, okay? So we say, save us, Jesus. If this is new to you, what we're doing, we're just welcoming God to come and move in our city, move in our churches, move in people's hearts to have his way. Because we really do believe that Jesus is king, that he's Lord over all. And so we ask him to lead us. We ask him to guide us. We ask him to put his purposes and his ideas in our hearts and in our minds. We ask him to do that in our political leaders. We ask him to do that in business owners. We ask him to do that in school boards and teachers. We ask him to do that in students and children. Lord, we ask for you to help us. We ask that you would come and you would bring salvation to the city of Victoria. That you would bring salvation to households, to cul-de-sacs, to neighborhoods, to, to co-ops, God, to workplaces, to schools. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to move in our day. Move in our day, in our city. We're asking you, King Jesus, and we, we say as your people, we welcome your disruption. God, even, even when we are recognizing that it might be uncomfortable, we might not be sure what it's going to look like, we welcome your disruption. We welcome you to have your way with us, King Jesus. We sing and we say, all hail, King Jesus. All hail, King Jesus. Give us eyes to see that you're seated on the throne far above every power and principality, everything that we see going on in the world that doesn't line up to you and your word, you're still king. You're still king. Yeah. As there's something really special that happens when his church prays together. Okay, so there's a scripture where, where, where Paul says he wants to see all throughout the churches people raising holy hands and praying, and specifically praying for leaders. So we're just going to do that for a minute, okay? I'm going to welcome you. There's something about a bodily posture. If you're comfortable to do it, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands up, okay? It's biblical. It says we do this, and what we're doing is we're just asking God. We ask for your hand and your spirit to rest on the leaders of our land, we're asking you to give them grace. We're asking you to give them wisdom. We ask that you give them your plans and purposes, your mind, your heart, in Jesus' name. 
We bless them, God. We bless them with strength. We bless them with wisdom. We bless them with grace to keep going. We bless them with an understanding and a paradigm of a servant heart in Jesus' name. We bless them with a paradigm of righteousness and justice according to your word in Jesus' name. And we ask for your healing on our land, on our society, in our city, in our day, in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.